I'm very happy to say in the studio with us now is Dan Ryan. He's the head coach of Northern Ireland Netball. Dan, welcome to the studio. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's great to have you here. And uh, you're a Melbourne man. Uh, you're a presenter as well. So, I mean, this is all going to be a cakewalk <laughs> for you. <laughs> yes, yeah, very comfortable behind a microphone and uh, enjoying the sunshine out in Belfast today. It reminds me of home. It's, it's a great start to the day. <laughs> we haven't always been able to say that about here, have <laughs> very we? Very true. <laughs> no. Um, You've been a very busy man. Before we actually talk about all the sporting side of things, you've just completed the Camino de Santiago, so fair play to you. Yeah, I did, actually. It was um, a leisurely 900-kilometre walk from uh, <laughs> uh, St. John Peter Port in France all the way through to Finisterre in, in Spain. It was uh, an unbelievable experience, something I've wanted to do for a very, very long time and um, was able to get some time off from all of my commitments and enjoy a bit of uh, peaceful walking. And uh, It was a great way to explore Spain and an unbelievable experience on many fronts. Fair play to you. I mean, when uh, you know, I knew you were coming onto the program, and I started to look at all the different things you're involved in. And then I saw you tweeting about doing that. I thought, how has he found the time? <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things in life that you got to got to make time for that kind of stuff. And I think really important working in professional sport and coaching, it can be a very consuming uh, industry and profession. So, you know, a lot of it is, is self-discipline to know when you need to step away and take a break. And um, I had a pretty big three years leading up to the World Cup. So the chance just to have a bit, of, a bit of time out and have an only commitment for the day to get up, put a backpack on and walk 30Ks a day as such um, was a great way to refresh I suppose. <laughs> uh, what a what a brilliant way to spend your time. Just kind of covering the basics for anyone who isn't aware, talk us into sort of what has led you to taking the Northern Ireland job and then up to the summer and then we'll cover the World Cup and all that. Yeah, I guess I've, I've been involved in netball for a number of years now since I was an eight-year-old kid and I'm 35 now, so I've spent a number of years working in the sport in a number of different different capacities from a player, a commentator, broadcaster, um, and also a coach. And I guess coaching um, started somewhat as a hobby through high school to make a bit of pocket money. And um, through chance and opportunity, I was able to work in the ANZ Championship in Australia and, and had some great success there with the Adelaide Thunderbirds working as assistant coach. And it was there, I guess, where the head coach at the time, Jane Woodlands-Thompson, um, really encouraged me to think about coaching as a career. And um, from there, it's taken me to Manchester. It's taken me back to Australia. It's taken me to all the netball leagues in the world and um, most recently to the World Cup too with Northern Ireland. So um, I'm only 35, so I guess I'm quite young still to be a head coach working at that top level, but um, really keeping perspective on gathering as much experience as possible over over the years that have gone and the years that will come to, to really set me up hopefully for a successful coaching career in the future. And have an opportunity to look after an international side as well. I'm sure that was when it opened up, that opportunity, just one too good to refuse. Yeah, a well, really different experience. I'd spent um, the past two, the previous two years working in Suncorp Super Netball, which is obviously 100% professional. The athletes are all paid full time. You have access to them quite often and um, it's a very different experience to then come and work with a national team that is, I guess, very amateur in, in the setup, but the athletes obviously work extremely hard and they really do operate as professionals in the way that they train and, and perform and, and dedicate their time to the sport but two very different worlds um, and I knew coming into the job that it would be polar opposite experiences but I've really enjoyed um, working with the Northern Iron group because of the purity of coaching that it is it really is just taking a team and 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 instilling new strategy and new skill and, and new variety in the way they play the game and trying to upskill them and because they all I guess basically pay to play and be there they're all holding down jobs or studying or whatever it might be they're all there for the pure passion of the game 
game, and, and that's quite infectious. Um, it's certainly not sustainable in an international team, but it was a great change from what I was experiencing basically in, in Suncorp the years before. With that, I mean, that you saying that, and you know, it's it's a matter of fact. You know, this they are an amateur side paying to play, having to work on top of it. Local football fans listen to this program will will certainly resonate with that because uh, you know a lot of the players are part time, but actually having to be out money to participate will shock a few still. Um, is there ever a chance of that changing? Because we've seen, you know, these are these are quality athletes. Yeah, look, I think something has to change, and it's probably not just an issue here in Northern Ireland. It's in a, a lot of different countries and, and sport sports franchises, I guess, um, around the world. But I think um, when you get an understanding for when you're working in an Australian system as to what a professional environment looks like. And, and athletes on a really impressive salary for technically 25 hours a week work. And I'm here working with the Northern Ireland girls that will work 40-hour weeks and then either train early mornings or late nights, whatever it is, to, to reach the program. And I think certainly um, from my perspective, it's it's really hard to progress the national team, progress the program with those constraints in place. So I guess the biggest thing for us is we need to get more funding within the program, more sponsors on board, more companies, businesses buying into the Warriors set up and what we're doing so that we can take the team away on international tours so they can get more experience, more exposure. Because I guess from my perspective, there's a lot of things that need to change, but the number one priority is getting those players um, more experience on the international stage. And, you know, I, I can't see it changing where they're going to be able to be professional netballers anytime soon in this country it's it's really about giving the national team more experience and exposure on the world stage uh, i'll come on to the grassroots sort of stuff in a minute because uh, we've spoken to the under 21s head coach before hannah willis and i'm keen to sort of hear your philosophy in terms of obviously developing young players and bringing them through to that um senior setup but i want to look at the world cup um, you did have some young players in that squad uh, we shouldn't forget that but a 10th place finish um happy enough overall or what what was your your sort of come away thoughts yeah when i first got the job my number one uh intention was to ensure that the mindset of the playing group was to go above and beyond where they've ever been before i wasn't interested in trying to uh stick to the status quo and stay where i've always been and done what i've always done i really wanted to come and try and shift the mindset to get them to be really aspirational and driven to go beyond and I really got great buy-in from the playing group to do that. And we had some really good progress. I think in, in hindsight, in the lead-up to the competition, we had a lot of challenges that I guess a lot, lot of many people wouldn't be um, too privileged to know the information. But we didn't have a huge amount of match preparation opportunity. So for me as a new head coach coming in, I really only learnt about my players performing under pressure seven days before the World Cup when we had two test matches. And you know any coach would know that you want to know your playing group inside and out. And we just didn't have the chance to have high-pressure matches in the build-up for a number of different reasons. Also in the build-up, we lost two of our starting seven players in the attack end through injury. One was ruled out altogether with a broken ankle, and she was our starting goal shooter. Um, and another player um, had a really severe ankle injury that she didn't get back on court until the day before our very first game against Australia. So the preparation was quite clunky. But having said that, um, you know, you keep things in perspective at a World Cup, and we had a different team than what was there previously in their last major competition. And although we lost some really close games to Zimbabwe and Malawi that perhaps were winnable, we certainly put ourselves in winning positions in those games. 
I guess from my point of view, from a coaching perspective, what I learnt about the group and the individuals within the team was enormous in those those moments. And um, that's the important stuff we take out because if those results had gone different, we maybe could have finished sixth or seventh, which is what we were kind of targeting. Um, in the end, we, we fell short and, and placed tenth. But, you know, there was a real emergence from the African nations at the World Cup that not many people, I guess, anticipated to be as forceful as what it was. Um, but all things considering and all the challenges we faced, I think 10 is respectable, but certainly we wanted more. And, and I'm glad that everybody, I guess, involved in the team was somewhat disappointed because if we we're content with 10th, we'd be going in the wrong direction. Um, but we're really keen to move it forward and, and hopefully we can over the next few months. You know, and that is why it's great to have you on the program today to talk about this, because this is a sport that doesn't get that much coverage in Northern Ireland. And yet we're talking about a team who are, 10th in the world at this particular World Cup and going, we actually should be better than that. And there's not too many sports across the world where Northern Ireland, you know, we're not talking about an All-Ireland entity, Northern Ireland look at that and go, we can be in the top 10, we can be in the top 6, 7. It's an interesting one because of... I've got to know the Northern Ireland culture through working with the athletes and, and talking to a lot of people and um, a lot of the things that can happen in, in the sporting environment here are things that in Australia we'd be right on top of to ensure that we're really progressive and, and moving forward. And, you know, we had some really good, robust conversations as a team during the World Cup around, from my perspective, what was acceptable and what wasn't. And if we accept this as our norm, then this is where we're going to stay. And is this what you want to be as your, your, your benchmark? And we always tried to raise the bar in a number of different ways and I was really pleased that the players bought into that because they, they could see that they had talent and potential and obviously to, to go well at a major competition you need everything to go in your favour. Um, unfortunately for us a lot of things went against us but um, you've got to take the learnings out of that and one of the biggest things for me, not only changing um, some of the ways that we play the game but also the mindset, the approach, the philosophy, the environment itself um, that you know we're not just there to exist and we're not just there to compete, we're there to compete hard and push forward and I guess now without the World Cup um, being the carrot for the players and, and for all of us involved we really need to make sure that we can get some positive change in the environment um, show the playing group and everyone involved that we're progressive and moving forward so we can get the results that perhaps we're, we're, we're capable of if things go well and one of those places where you're hopefully going to be able to show that is uh, the European Championships, which take place in the Antrim Forum uh, from the 27th to the 29th of September. Yeah, it's a really important competition um, for us and a, a great opportunity to, to medal. You know, I think bare minimum, we want to make sure we finish in the top three. There's four nations competing, obviously. But if, if we play well and all goes well, there's a chance that we, we can go better than that. But um you know, our, our preparation, I guess, has been a little bit um, disjointed at times. We've had a lot of players coming in and out through other commitments and injuries and, and rehabbing and, and all of those types of things. So, um, again, we just need to make sure that over the next couple of weeks we really knuckle down and we're as prepared as possible. Wales are going to be a really difficult team that we have first up and, and they've, they've played some great netball over the summer. Um, and are really going to be a country on the rise over the next couple of years with, with Julie Hornwig from Australia leading them. Um, and then obviously England have, have put together um, a young squad really trying to expose their next generation of talent. So there's an opportunity for us if we play well, but uh, it is about performing on the day and, and up to us to make sure that we, we bring our best when it matters. And you know, looking at the squad, uh, I've spoken about young players, the McGee sisters, Emma and Michelle, coming to the fore, uh, a great example of that, 21-19 I think they are. Um, how many of those sort of young emerging talents are there in this country at the moment that you can start to, to pull into your side and sort of base the future on? 
Well, it's a, it's a really good question because one of the biggest things that I think needs to improve here is our depth of talent. And there is quite a gap between our seniors and our juniors coming through. So we're doing a bit of work behind the scenes to just restructure the pathway a little bit to make sure it's a little bit more streamlined from a performance perspective to try and, I guess, fast track some of the, the better younger talent in. I think I've always tried to sell to Netball Northern Ireland that we're a boutique netball country. We're never going to have the massive amounts of depth of talent that other nations do. So what we do have that is of high quality really need to nurture and look after it and you know the McGee sisters are an example of that we brought them both up from the under 21s program and put a lot of work into them and Emma McGee our goal attack was perhaps one of our best players at the World Cup and um, she not only embraced I guess the strength and conditioning component and the the technical tactical coaching that she she was getting she put in an enormous amount of work in her sports psychology space which I think was really impressive and um, she played a really important role for us and, and really embraced what it is to be an international athlete and you know the the emergence of Michelle McGee, her younger sister, she's as determined as ever. And we just need more of those younger players coming through the system because at the moment there's quite a gap. Um, and I really want to be working with those players that are so determined and desperate to make it to the next grade, but actually are willing to do whatever it takes to do it as well. So that's a, a, a big project that the organisation needs to put together um, over the next couple of years to ensure we have more quality players to choose from when it comes to these major competitions. I mean, it's clear you have a vision, and you know when you. You've recently committed your future as well uh, to Northern Ireland. Uh, I saw some nice quotes online from Karen Rollo, the exec manager at Netball NI, Jeff Wilson, the chair. They're obviously very pleased to have you staying on board and uh, they talk about your vision and where you see things. How much freedom do you have in terms of creating where you want to go and then implementing that down the chain or, or is that something that has to come from someone else? It's another good question. It really, for, one of the biggest challenges for us comes down to funding. So I might have a vision that I think is a, a high performance program that will get results, but unless we have the influx of cash to deliver it, um, it makes it really difficult. And you know, I'm probably in a position now where I'm going to keep poking the bear until we start getting some progress. Because um, unfortunately, if we don't change what's in place at the moment, we will stay where we are or potentially slip down the rankings. Because the other nations that I guess sit around our mark are all progressing and moving forward. So we need to do the same. So, you know, a shout out to any any businesses or brands that want to jump on board and support the Warriors because we really need the support to be able to get the players to Africa for international tours, to have more access to them training-wise. Um, and there's a lot you can do to jump on. That they're, they're great role models. And I think if we can just build on the platform of what the World Cup was, build the depth of talent, offer more competitive opportunities for the players, then we can be aspirational enough to show progress. Um, But if we stay where we are, we're going to be fighting a bit of a battle that we want to make sure we can move forward. So there's a lot to do, but um, I'll keep poking the bear until we start seeing some some results. Because it's an interesting thing if you look at, you know, the model of it, and I'm not saying that I'm entirely au fait with it, but where are you identifying talent from? Is it it from local clubs and schools? Or, I mean, how how do people progress into that initially, the, the youth set up and come through? It's not necessarily as transparent or as clear is in other sports yeah and I think that's one of the things that I've, I've made pretty clear to them too that you know I, I guess from my perspective when you're working for an organization um, like a netball Northern Ireland or any other sporting organization there's a, there's a real balance between participation and performance and and perhaps there's more emphasis placed on participation because that's critical but I can't do my job without the performance side of things and, and vice versa. So we need to find a, a way to work together. And I think how the pathway set up at the moment, it makes it quite difficult for coaches to really coach 
intricately, which I think at that younger age is so important. I think probably some of the players are, are missing certain things that they need to have as a skill set before they get to a certain age because there's quite large numbers in the underage squads and it makes it quite difficult for coaches to get their hands dirty and really work with the athletes. So just maybe separating how the pathway looks a little bit and, and maybe, I guess, splitting it into two streams with a high-performance squad and maybe a development squad coming through um, just to ensure that those identified talent get the coaching and nurturing they need to be able to come through the pathway. So I guess for my job, I can look down the pathway and clearly see those athletes that are showing the right attributes, the right skill set, the, the right ability to, to move forward. Um, and that's what we're working on at the moment with the board and, and, and the performance team to try and make sure that that's a little bit more streamlined and indicative of what a high performance streamed pathway should look like. And in terms of obviously that this all takes time and it goes nowhere without the funding, which is a point we can't mention enough as I know you've already alluded to is the Commonwealth Games almost too soon to really figure out the progress or is that the ideal time Birmingham 2022? Well, I think it's an ideal time, to be honest. And I think the biggest thing for me with my squad is I have a lot of players that sit in their late 20s, early 30s, and I need to ensure that they have a real purpose and a real reason to stay within the program, within the squad. And then also I need to ensure that there's the succession planning happening underneath. And while we've blooded quite a few young players over the last 12 months, which has been fantastic, not only, I guess, in a competition sense, but in a training sense, um, that needs to continue to happen over the next few years as well. So if we do get some retirements from the more senior athletes, there are players to come through. Um, and perhaps Commonwealth Games is, is the benchmark. I think if we can continue to get more exposure against the countries that are our fiercest rivals now that sit in the Caribbean, that sit in Africa, most importantly. Because I think one of the biggest learnings from World Cup too is we were playing matches against teams that we'd barely seen. And we had players out on the court that have never competed in a World Cup. So you're asking a lot from an athlete to be ready for that moment. Um, and the same thing when we play against Australia. You meet them once every four years and there's nothing like training to play against Australia. It's about feeling the force full full, full throttle. So um, I need to get more exposure into the players and get them more comfortable under pressure, more comfortable against the different styles of physicality so that they can actually implement all the stuff we're working on but feel really prepared and confident come those pressure games, which is, I think, a big, a big learning for us. I'm sure you've already considered this yourself. This is the the one sort of ugly question I have. You're you're very busy. Leeds Rhinos, that's a huge project as well. You know, that's all shaping up to 2021. The Commonwealth is 2022. How confident are you that you're going to be able to juggle both those balls? Because they're, they're both huge tasks. Yeah, I guess the reality of the job here at Northern Ireland, it's a part-time job. I don't have access to the players often, and a lot of them will now be involved in English Super League programs, which is ideal. Uh, and if they're not in an English Super League program, a lot are in full-time university programs as well. So the athletes are getting the exposure at the next level that they need. And I think it's about building a good support team and a good network of coaches here within Northern Ireland that can obviously uh, pick up the slack when I am based in England, which is, which is where I am. Um, because we do also need to start thinking about the future of Northern Ireland as well. I'm not going to be here forever. So who's the next coach coming through and or who are the next coaches that are aspiring to, to lead the national team? So we're looking at a bit of a coach mentor program too to provide those opportunities to um, hopefully a, a large group of coaches that, that want to take a position like this because I think it's important to have uh, the depth of talent in coaching. So um, that'll be the main focus there and a, a team approach. And I guess, um, you know, I've managed two roles over the past 12 months and, and it's worked fine. 
fine. There isn't, I guess, the funding for this to be a full-time position as such. So it's the nature of the industry, I guess. Um, but we'll see how it goes over the next couple of years. And I guess, um, as, as I mentioned, we need to make sure that we're building a sustainable infrastructure here in Northern Ireland. So when I am in England, the program still runs with the support of assistant coaches and other trainers and whatever it might be. Um, and then we can all come back together for those athletes that are based in England can come back into a camp-based setup. So there's, there's ways around everything. But um, again, it's about progressing the program and, and we can't do that without the funding. Um, you're, you're clearly not a man that shies away from pressure. Looking at, uh, you know, when you came in at Manchester, that was succeeding a certain Tracy Neville. Um, where did she ever end up? <laughs> not bad. Um, so that was a, a pressure post when you had it. And, and you've already alluded to, you know, future planning and things like that. In the future, not a bad CV for 35 penny stretch. Where do you see yourself? What's your, your big end goal at some stage? Yeah, good question. I think, um, I guess what I've probably tried to um, come to terms is probably over the last couple of months, actually, is my last job before this at Adelaide was quite a tough one when we won one game in two years. So, um, and that was a hell of a ride for a head coach, particularly I was 32 at the time. So I'm really grateful for all of the experience I've got, particularly over the last six years. And I think there's nothing really within coaching that could be thrown at me now that I haven't seen, felt, experienced before. So um, I feel really fortunate at 35 to, um, to have a wealth of experience under my belt. And for me now, I'm really keen to start getting some results and being realistic as to, to where those results might be. I'm really keen to do well in the UK Super League with Leeds Rhinos. I think if we can recruit a good team, we've got a great franchise there with the rugby department really supporting the netball program brilliantly well. Um, that's that's a real focus in the short term. And um, I think also too, you know, w- what does success look like here for Netball Northern Ireland and being very um, realistic about what that is and you know we're currently sitting ninth in the world rankings which is is a respectable world ranking any team in the top 10 is doing well we need to be in the top 12 within the next 12 months to make sure we can qualify for the commonwealth games um, but again, it's about being realistic. We're probably not a country that can realistically achieve a top six finish. There are a really strong teams sitting in the top six. Um, but seventh and getting back to eighth, I think, are things that we can aim for. But again, we can only aim for them if we get more put into the program. So um, one thing I've learned about coaching and high-performance sport is, yes, it's very important to always be striving to win and to be the best team and the best coach, whatever it might be. But it's also critical to keep perspective and be realistic about what your targets are because um, you need to manage expectations internally, externally. Um, and both of my two jobs, I think, are very different in terms of, of what expectations are. So learning a lot about coaching and what it's all about, but uh, hopefully we can keep achieving success in all of its little forms because I think that's important to acknowledge what it looks like in in the smallest of ways. Uh, fantastic points. Uh, just before we wrap up, uh, I'm going to close on one thing. Before we do that, this is completely away from Napo. We talked about it all fair, but in your Twitter bio, I couldn't I could not <laughs> ask you this, Dan, because it says right at the end, just so, so nonchalantly, <laughs> price is right winner. And I thought, he's done what? <laughs> Correct. Very true. Very, very true. Uh, I was 19 at the time and uh, won the showcase on the Price is Right. Didn't have a car license, but won a brand new car. <laughs> Still didn't get a car license for about 10 years after that. Um, but it was about 42000 Australian dollars worth of prizes. Wow. Um, and I often forget that I did it. So it's it's fitting that it's at the end of the Twitter handle because I often forget that it's there. Um, and I often forget that I did it. But when someone brings it up, I'm like, oh yeah, I did. That was a long time ago. But uh, a, a great uh, a great story to tell people over drinks, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Because I have always, when, uh, when we had that in the UK for a long time, and when I watched the program, I always thought, what are they 
what do they do if they don't drive? Or what if they don't know how to sail a speedboat or yeah. you know, whatever? <laughs> yeah. So what did you do with your car? Well, I gave the car to mum and dad. I ah. sold, sold it to mum and dad and was able to uh, have a bit of pocket money because I had no money at the time as a 19-year-old kid. So um, no, it gave me some some great little pocket money and uh, sold most of the things, to be honest, because a lot of the things, although great, not really practical for a 19-year-old. So <laughs> I'm like, I can let that sit in the, in the bedroom or whatever it might be. Uh, but there was a few things that I still use that... Um, but yeah, most things sold and uh, yeah, got a bit of pocket money out of it, which was cool. So that's not one of those things like the, your, your parents, you know, dust off the old tape when family are around <laughs> and they go, there he is. I'm not sure many people have VHS players anymore, so <laughs> it, might, it might be dead and buried by now. <laughs> if it's anything like any of my teenage appearances on things, I'm like, I hope it is dead and buried by now. But that was a successful one. Uh, I want to do, I do want to finish on a serious note, which is uh, for young people listening who are, are trying to be better at netball, maybe for parents who have kids who are getting into different sporting clubs and are of that age. What advice would you give them? How do you become successful in this sport? Yeah, I think it's it's the same as, as any sport and any athlete that wants wants to make it to the very, very top is concentrate on the basic skills and do them every single day over and over again until you are the master of them. I think, you know, you can get so caught up in high-end strategy and structure and all these fancy things that come with being an elite athlete, but unless you are a master of the basic skills in your craft, um, you're not going to make it to the top. So that work ethic to really put in the hard yards when no one's watching, they're the most important times. Watch the professionals do it. Watch it again. Tape the games. Watch it over and over and over again and try and mimic the way the professionals do it. It's a really important thing that I use throughout my um, career as an athlete and also from a coaching perspective as well. And just always make sure that you are willing to get involved in different environments, different coaches, different teammates, uh, and most importantly, back yourself because if you don't have that inner drive and that self-belief, you'll never make it. So make sure you're believing in yourself, working on your basic skills and trying to emulate the feats of the people that you aspire to be like. Wonderful advice. Uh, really enjoyed having you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, Dan Ryan, head coach of Northern Ireland Netball.